Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. How's everyone doing? Man, it's been a doozy of a couple of weeks, hasn't it? And you know, last week I really um, talked about it head on. Um, did a Facebook live uh, live stream over the weekend with my friends Susan Guthrie and Ben Halfond and uh, Dana Michelle, and that was um, amazing. And you know, we're having these really hard conversations. Uh, But today I'm going to do, I'm going to slightly depart from that um, for a couple of reasons. Um, The first is that the timing of this um, episode actually coincides with um, the upcoming World Refugee Day, which, you know, is really mm, not much of a departure from what's going on in the world right now. Um, The support of and the love of um, all marginalized people in our country is, you know, probably the most important thing that we can be talking about right now. And um, my guest this week is an incredible woman, an incredible human who has founded an amazing nonprofit that supports refugees as they resettle in the United States. And, you know, as we've seen over the last couple of years, that has been a harrowing and horrible um, experience for many refugees. I mean, I think on the best in the best of circumstances and the best of political climates, resettling, moving your entire life to a different country is um, must be terrifying and just just such a scary experience. Um, but then to come to the U.S. and be met with the hostilities that so many of um, the people who come here seeking shelter have been met with over the last few years um, under this administration in particular, it's it's been awful. So um, my friend Mary, this is we we were laughing about this today because Mary and I, um, Mary is lives in my neighborhood. And I've known about her since she began her nonprofit, Mary's List, which she's going to tell you all about today. Um, and I um, have always known about her. And then she moved in, like, basically next door to me. There's one other house between us. And I was kind of excited because I was like, oh, my God, because she felt kind of like a little like famous to me in our neighborhood. And I was like, oh, my God, maybe like we're going to be friends. And then I found out when she moved into, into the house is because she had just gotten divorced. And I was like, oh, we're so going to be friends. And I went over to talk to her. And then in talking, I was like, will you be on my podcast? And she was like, absolutely. And um, so we recorded this. And after we recorded this, 
we've, we became really good friends. (laughs) So if you've been following my journey with the Eagle Rock Isolation Band, Mary is the one who started it by standing out on her front lawn in the very beginning of quarantine and just like singing karaoke songs, basically. Um, She's a karaoke queen um, in her non-quarantine life. And so then I joined her and then a bunch of our other neighbors joined in the band. And now we are this, you know, seven person band and um, we've gotten to know each other really well and we've become really good friends. Um, But this was recorded before any of that happened. So it's kind of exciting (laughs) that um, we're sort of going this little like back in time to a conversation that we had when we were like just getting to know each other. So I just want to tell you a little, a little bit about Mary. So Mary founded her nonprofit called Mary's List during a painful time in her marriage. Um, the, the creation of this organization is one of the things that sort of lifted her up and out um, of her marriage. And um, the story is incredible about how she started to help just one family, um, one refugee family who had just arrived in the United States. And now she runs this incredible, incredible nonprofit um, helping, um, you know, families resettling all across the U.S. And um, she's amazing. Her nonprofit is amazing. And her story is really inspiring. And I'm sharing it with you because I want you to see what's possible. I know this was something that was true for me was that when I got myself or like involved in things outside of my marriage, and when I realized that people viewed me really differently from the way my husband viewed me or the way that I viewed myself inside my marriage, Um, the way that I viewed myself and the way my husband viewed me inside my marriage became just like a real disconnect. So I was like out in the world and I was this one person and I was happy and powerful and was making a difference and, and making change and doing things. And then I would go home into my marriage and I would sort of have to shrink back down to, to get into it. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to be shrunken down. I don't want to be that, right? I want more to be this, this, this better, bigger version of myself that these other people see in me and feed in me and foster in me and that I can then turn around and do the same for myself, right? And so I think this story is really important um, in showing how just amazing we can be when we are not in the constraints um, of something that's holding us down and holding us back. So I'm going to shut up now and I'm going to bring you my interview with my dear, dear friend, Mary Whitehill, who runs the nonprofit called Mary's List. And, you know, before I bring her to you, um, I do want to say that this is coming up um, in the next week or so. We have um, World Refugee Day. And because of that, um, I'm going to, you know, we want to donate. We want to start sending money to organizations that are supporting our refugees. And this is a great time to do it. So there's going to be a, there's a link in, in our bio to be able to support refugees through supporting Mary's List. And I, and I encourage you, um, to please donate. Literally every dollar matters. Everything counts, right? So if you can just give $5, give $5. You have no idea what that means to a refugee family. Um, it's, it's truly astonishing. So please, 
Um, check the link in the bio and be sure to um, give any anything that you can to support our refugees coming into our country. Okay, and now here's Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi, thanks for accepting me with bedhead today. <laughs> So we're recording in person. Mm -hmm. Mary and I are sitting in the same room, which has really only happened on one. I've only done this once before in this very room with my friend, Deborah Rogers. So you're kind of, you're kind of special, Mary. You never forget your second. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I love you guys. This is why Mary's on the podcast today. (laughs) She cracks my shit up. We're neighbors. We are neighbors. We live just two doors down there's this massive ugly apartment complex in between us although it's full of beautiful people the building could look a little nicer the building could look but i do love the people that live in there there. (laughs) spoiler miri moved next door to me or two doors down from me three months ago three months ago it's been three when you is that when you got divorced when you split up or were you somewhere in between my divorce was final about I would want to say two months ago. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, it was just all around, all around the same time. And I got so lucky to find that place. It was the second place I looked at and I just, there was a giraffe posted next to the window in the back to like hold back the curtains on the window in the kitchen. And I saw that giraffe and I was just like, this is my house. Yeah. I need to live with that giraffe. That's amazing. And and I just looked at the landlord and I was like, her name is Louise. Louise, And she, family friend, single mom, raised her son Mm -hmm. in that house. And she walked her son to Eagle Rock Boulevard from that house as he Mm -hmm. got bigger. And I said, this is where I want to live with my kids. And I want to give you an application tonight. And within two days, she had like, done a credit check she talked to her friends at the church about me and we like signed a deal and then i became your neighbor and i feel like the luckiest person on the planet to have found you and louise and that apartment building full of heroes uh, it's so great it's it's so great it's so great our neighborhood is really is really awesome you run an organization called mary's list do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is by the yes. way, I knew about Mary's List like for a couple of years before I actually met you. And I was like, who is this woman? She's amazing. And so then I, now I'm like, oh my God, she's even more amazing. Well, <laughs> I am the founder of a nonprofit organization called Mary's List. And we work with families who are resettling as refugees in the United States. It's a three and a half year old nonprofit. So we are a startup. We have grown really fast in the last three and a half years, beginning with a almost spontaneous meeting with one family that led to a domino effect. And most of the families we serve come from Syria and Afghanistan. And most of them have kids under age five. So we're, we're dealing with mostly families. Yeah. And so what do you do for them? What's the, what's, what's the list? What's the list? So the list in Mary's list is one of our four programs. Our flagship program is wish lists by Mary's list. And it's like a baby registry or a wedding registry, but for families who are starting over, they have fled persecution, persecution and violence. Often the families we serve are coming from 
neighborhoods and streets that have been changed significantly by violence. And some of those neighborhoods no longer exist. If, mm. if you can even imagine what that would be no. like. Right. And for our, for our neighborhood, like for all that we were just talking about, on. for our neighborhood to suddenly be decimated. Yep. By violence. And yeah, I mean, horrible. There are, you know, women I know who have survived that and have come here have told me stories about sitting on the roof with their friends having tea and cookies and then a bomb falling out of the sky and turning a building next door into a crater. Oh my God. And like, that's the level of like shift and so quickly, like that's what civil war looks like in Syria and it's ongoing. And, you know, what we do where we come in is when families arrive here. Yeah. You know, what we want is that the refugee experience, which is often many years and there's not a lot of informed consent in migration and mm. in resettlement as refugees. Say and more about that. What is that? What do you mean we'll, by that? Oh, folks who are, who are coming here, they're not, necessarily leaving their home with the intent of never coming back. Right. And I think we don't really always think of it that way. Mm. And we think of refugees as these, you know, with this label of like, these people didn't decide to be refugees. There was not consent in that. That was their life circumstance. They were sitting on the roof having tea and a bomb dropped next door like that. They didn't ask for that. No, nobody wants this for their families. So many families have been separated because mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. And so when they get here, we want that experience, the refugee experience to be over. And what we want mm -hmm. is that their arrival to the United States is refuge has been found mm -hmm. and they can begin a resettlement experience. But if you can imagine just some of the emotions that would come up in coming to a new country, maybe being on a plane for the first time, you're with your spouse and your five kids, and then you're brought to a motel room with two beds in Glendale, and you're dropped off by a caseworker, and they give you a bag of groceries, and they say they'll be back soon. And what you really need at that moment might just be a working cell phone, mm -hmm. so you can call your mom and let her know that you arrive safely. That might be the thing that you need the most in that moment. Mm -hmm. And resettlement agencies and caseworkers, they are heroic, bless their hearts. They are not there to provide the level of emotional support, community support that people need when they're starting over in this position. And that's who we are. We are a community-based organization. We are not here as a resettlement agency that's funded by the federal government. That's not what we will ever become. Mm -hmm. We right. represent the neighbors. We're the ones knocking on the door often of those motel rooms or a first apartment in America where a family might be living for a couple of weeks without basic supplies like beds. We knock on the door. We say, welcome to America. How can we help? Mm -hmm. And then we help with the things, people and services to get them through they're setting up their first home so they have what they need to feel normal. And then through finding a community support system locally. And then ultimately, um, 
what, you know, what we hope is that they find a sense of belonging here in, in their new life in America. So which they can really only find through the community, right? Through, through community outreach and, and, and the welcoming arms of a new community. We have all been new somewhere. We know what that feels like. Right. The phases of our program are survive, hive and thrive. And we find that describing them in that way help not just helps us kind of visualize where we're at, but like it also really aligns with the experience for families being in survival mode. We all know what that feels like feeling like you can't make a choice, feeling like your life is out of your hands. Hive, that second phase is the surrounding. You get surrounded by a support system Mm -hmm. and that's ultimately where you can build your strength and then thrive. That is when you have your needs met. And at that point, Often what people are doing is they're looking out their window or opening their door and wondering if maybe their neighbor needs help. Mm. And that's actually one of the best ways to tell if a family has reached that point. And it's when they're reaching out to us and they're asking if they can volunteer for Mary's List as an interpreter or on our welcoming team. You know, most of the staff of Mary's List are folks who have graduated from the program. Which is so cool, which I just think is so cool. They're so They're so grateful for it, right, that they... That they want to give back and they want to give back to others. And that's right. That is the full circle effect that we're, that you're after. I think that it can be very healing to be able to improve the experience for somebody else who's maybe going through something that you can relate to. Yeah. And I'm just constantly inspired by the people that I work with. We're like the United Nations. It's incredible. You are. Yeah. It's I amazing. Have the best team. Okay. And so let's go, let's like rewind a minute and because I want to get back to Mary's list, but I want to know how you started this. Like what, what was the impetus for this and, and the ripple effect that it had right. in your own life? So as I mentioned, Mary's list is a three and a half year old organization and I have two kids. They are four and seven. So what that means is that super cute, by the way, Thank you. Yeah, your new neighbors, <laughs> I love. These we do kids. a lot of nude gardening in the, fr- in the front yard. <laughs> Front yard, which is looking play. really good, by the way. And I asked them if they uh, asked your kids if they would come over and, and start work on mine. Yes, yeah, actually, yeah. We put in a rainbow garden last week. You yeah. can check that out. Okay, it's coming in. When Mary's list began, my kids were five months old and three and a half. So I was with a basically a newborn and a toddler. Mm-hmm. I was the primary person looking after them. At the time I was um, married to their father. I was at that point pretty sure in what I thought was postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And my marriage was always, it was rough from the start, literally from the wedding night was, Mm -hmm. was challenging. And, but After I had my second kid, it went from challenging to truly, it was traumatic. And I felt so abandoned Hmm. by the person who was supposed to be my person. Right. And the loss at that point when I was just, you know, so vulnerable, like, I mean, I remember being in the hospital with my one day old baby And like, I was waiting for 
their dad to pick me up from the hospital to take me home. And I was just looking at the baby and I was like, he didn't have a name yet. Mm -hmm. We're Jewish. So Mm -hmm. we only name on the eighth day. Right. And I said to myself and this baby boy in my mind, I said, I'm not going to leave the hospital unless I feel safe um, and emotionally safe also to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to stay here until that, until I get that. And if, and if there's something, anything besides that, I'm not going to leave. I mean, it was hard for me for many years to be in a hospital because I would, it would just being in a hospital would take me back to that time. <sighs> and I would, I, I remember visiting a friend years later, visiting a friend who had just had a baby and like she was there with her wife and they were just so in love with their baby and each other. And like, of course uh, they were together because yeah. uh-huh. like uh-huh. in their because relationship, what, why would you leave the hospital? Why if would you, are- you ever not be there? <laughs> Except you're like getting the car seat installed or some shit, right? Like, why? I was just a mess. I was, so, I had tears streaming down my face and I told them that it was because I was so happy for them. But I needed love in my life so deeply at that time and I just didn't yeah. have it. And that was the Same place. Well. Same. Oh, so many people that I have met since that time have can relate to mm-hmm. what it's like. And at the time I felt so alone. I also felt so sure that I had to stay married to that person until my kids were at least 18. Right. And I was trying so hard to be the wife that he, I was told that I needed Supposed to be, to be right? so I could be good enough. And mm-hmm. it was so much work. And when I look back, I'm like raising being a mom and being with my babies was the easy part of that time Mm -hmm. because it came so naturally. And like, I feel really fortunate that that came naturally to me because I know that many women do not find that that stuff comes naturally. I'm talking like feeding the baby, waking up with like, I don't know how, (sighs) like I'm so lucky that I got two kids that I just could bond with yeah so deeply you are i did not i did not well my lack of bonding was a postpartum depression issue like serious serious postpartum depression and a colicky baby and so there was so much trauma so much trauma around the birth also you know emergency c-section and all of that and then also not feeling like i had a supportive partner although i did i, I will say that my ex was he was good in infancy that's good. <laughs> he was, he was very good in that, but he was not an emotional support to me ever. Yeah. You know, except actually the opposite. <laughs> that, so that time revealed to me a lot of things. It took many years for it to, for me, for me to really understand what was lost at that time. Yeah. Because only once I began to understand my loss at that time, I began to understand like why I was hurting so bad. And then it was July, 2016. I was standing in my kitchen and Saba was in his jumper room mm-hmm. in the room with me. And Ruben was playing with Duplos in the next room. And my neighbor, Suzanne Smith, called me, mm-hmm. and the bare necessities came on, and I was <laughs> looking for my phone. And she said, Miri, I just met this family that moved here from Syria as refugees. 
they live in Azusa and they have a seven month old baby boy and they need somewhere to put him. He's been in their arms this whole time and they're tired <gasps> and they want to put him down. Do you have an extra bouncy chair? One of those like exercaucer things. And I'm just like staring at Sabo and, and he's in his jumper. And I was yeah. just like, Suzanne, I have one, but I can't give her mine because I need mine to survive. Yeah. And, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to help her. Yeah. Let me ask the moms. And I posted on the Eagle Rock Moms Facebook group asking if anybody had a jumperoo that they were done with. Mm -hmm. And within 10 minutes, one of the moms responded saying that her son had just stopped using his. Come on by. Pick it up. And that weekend, I went to visit this family with Suzanne. And she brought diapers and wipes. And I brought this my neighbor's jumperoo. Mm -hmm. And I was so kind of like excited about this like mini mission that I had and like keep in mind like I was at the time in a deep sense of my own survival mode like right I was struggling deeply and I was at the end of my marriage I did not know it yet right <sighs> so I enter this house and I have like laser focus on getting this baby in this jumper room. So I like kick off my shoes. I'm scanning the room, looking for an empty corner. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, that's weird. All the corners are empty. I'm going to pick this one. This one's next to the window. The light will come in. It'll be warm. So I'm setting up the jumper room and it's like super complicated because there's like a million parts and I'm like clicking it all together and you know, I'm in a stranger's home and they're just looking at me. They're like, what is she doing? What, and what, what is this thing? What is this contraption? And like, what's the bouncing? And, and I get it set up and I like turn around and I'm looking for the baby. And then I see him and he's in his mom's arms. And then I like, I'm walking towards her and like, I'm looking at her face and I'm like, she's like my age, maybe even younger than me. And it was just like, I remember thinking that when mm -hmm. looking at her and being mm -hmm. kind of surprised by that. I just had assumed that she was older. And, and then I, we just, have this idea of refugees as being older people, right? Is that, is that why like, is that, isn't that, yeah, right? Is that what you were, you were, I, I, I was surprised. I kind of imagined her to be just like an older, old fashioned lady. She was wearing a hijab, but she was like young and beautiful and yeah. she, was talking to me with her eyes because like we didn't share a language. She speaks right. Arabic. I speak yeah. English. And, and then like without consent, I take her baby from her arms. We mm -hmm. basically had eye contact and I, you know, with this agreement only through our eyes, I take the baby and I walk over to the jumper room and I could tell there was so much awkwardness in that moment, mm. but I was just like, I'm going to ignore it. I'm just going to do the thing. And I put the baby in the jumper room and then I like slowly back away <laughs> see what's going to happen. And then me and Suzanne and this mom and dad from Syria, and they also, they have five-year-old twin girls who are there with us standing. Oh We're all just like in this circle watching uh -huh. this baby explore this new piece of gear mm -hmm. for the first time. And it was like so uniting because mm -hmm. all, first of all, I have like just watched Sabo do that like a couple weeks earlier. Right. And so I was just like, there's something so peaceful right now in the room about watching this baby boy from Syria 
learning how to use his jumperoo and he started bouncing. He could feel his toes on the ground and he hit a, one of the lights and some, some music played. And then he, when he started laughing, all of us started laughing. <laughs> and it just like had this tremendous ice breaking moment. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of sat down there on the floor and um, mom went to the kitchen. She brought some food. There was like fruit and some cereal and they didn't have very much, but they just, she made the most delicious tea I had ever tasted in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there looking around and I'm just, I don't understand what they're saying to each other, but we're watching the kids and we're having this like awkward eye contact conversation. And I'm seeing the way that this mom and dad are looking at each other and something about being there in their home made me feel really uncomfortable at that moment. Mm. And I was like, I have to excuse myself to go to the bathroom. And so I, I did, I walked to the bathroom and I remember just like looking at myself in the mirror and having a panic attack. Mm. And I was like, how come this house feels so fucking safe to me? Mm. And like, why do I feel so jealous of these people who are strangers because of what they have with their family. Like I felt more love in the 10 minutes that I was sitting on the floor of their empty apartment with their family than I felt in my own home because it was just me and my kids. We were alone. And then I just had this other really shitty voice in my head being like, oh, look at you. Oh, poor me. Oh, I'm so sad. Like, oh, I should feel worse for myself than refugees who are literally in the next room. And here I am alone feeling sorry for myself. What right do I have? They have it so much worse than me. I'm going to go home to my nice house on my nice street and put my feet up on my bed and nurse my baby. Mm-hmm. And like, they don't have a, ki- a kitchen table. They need bedding. Like, they don't have garbage bags in their Mm. kitchen right now. Mm. It was a a lot of feelings in that tiny fucking bathroom. And then I'm just like, subconsciously, I'm just like washing my hands. I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I never went to the bathroom. (laughs) But I'm standing there, so I'm like washing my hands. And I realize that, like, I need to dry my hands. And then I, like, turn around. (sighs) And there's the towel bar, but there's no towel. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, where's the towel? And I'm like looking around and I'm like, why aren't there towels in this bathroom? And then I'm just like wiping my hands on my pants. And I, I'm like, I need to know what's going on in here. And I'm like, open the shower door and there's not soap. There's no shampoo. There's no bubble bath. There's no, I'm like, what's going on here? I look under the sink There's no supplies. There's no toothbrushes next to the sink. Oh, my God. I'm like, this family has been living in this house for three weeks. Oh, my God. Where is their stuff? (laughs) I mean, this is like me in the bathroom for five minutes. So then I'm like. (laughs) Snooping. Snooping around. (laughs) But but this, yeah, I'm like. and, And so, like, suddenly I'm, like, in this completely other headspace where, like, the, like me having a panic attack and like shaming myself, like 
is suddenly like just booted out of my mind because I'm like on this mission now. I'm like, what are they really missing? How much more do they need besides that jumperoo? Right. I mean, that was the moment that it shifted for me. And then I walked out of that bathroom and with their permission, I called my friend who speaks Arabic and on FaceTime, he was our interpreter Mm -hmm. and he convinced them to be real with me and to walk me around their house and go room by room, drawer by drawer and make a list of the things that they needed to make their house into a functional home for their family. And I just wrote it down as a list. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the list. That's the list. Actually, I found a picture <laughs> of the list for you that you can. Oh, good. We can, can have, put on. Let me see, this is it. This is oh, the first that's list. the first list. That's we're gonna put you. this on. Oh, I can keep this. That's for you. <gasps> oh, goody. And yeah. we're gonna put this on the. Oh man, we're gonna put this on the in the show notes because this is amazing. And it was. Just and I love basic what the thing. Things. It has things being crossed off. Yeah, because that was the original oh, list. That's amazing. Okay. And I went home and. You know, at the time we were on a single income and like we were hardly making ends meet. We're living off savings. And while I wanted to buy everything on that Mm -hmm. list for them, I Mm -hmm. just, that would be seriously irresponsible. Right. And so I went to Facebook and I posted the list and I said, does anybody want to help me to get these things for this family? And that is when it went from me wanting to help with my friend Suzanne to me and my friend Suzanne and like a whole bunch of our neighbors and friends. Mm Mm-hmm. And within two weeks, everything had been donated. And I was just going to their house every other day with my kids and they, they would play and we would go through donations and eat food. And I began a deep love affair with Syrian food. And <laughs> we're very happy together. All these yeah. years later, it's every time is like the first time truly with Syrian cuisine. And uh, but my life has changed significantly since then. But that was the beginning stages of Mary's List. And today we're a fully-fledged nonprofit organization with 501c3. And we have helped over 350 families from places like Syria, Afghanistan, Iran, and Iraq get the things that they need when they are starting their first home in America. It is just, it you know, it's the most simple and obvious solution And yet it's so profound, right? It's so profound. And it had a huge, and it had a profound effect on you and your marriage. And it sort of, it, it, Mary's List sort of ushered you out of your marriage, right? Mary's List helped me grow a pair (laughs) because I'll tell you how it was for me. Before meeting that family, the person I saw myself as was the person who my ex-husband saw me as. And it was really, really hard to feel like that person because that person was not good enough. Mm-hmm. No matter what that person did, it was, there was, it was a lose, lose. Yeah. And I, I, I know that. I know that, that you feeling. know what that feels you know like. I know that. Yeah, that, I do. That's exactly, that's exactly who I was too. Ultimately, I was able to start some volunteer work in my neighborhood. I joined the neighborhood council, started meeting people just outside, you know, the small circle of friends that I had that also knew my ex and, you know, 
Suzanne was a fellow board member. Like that's how I know Suzanne. She Mm -hmm. introduced me to that first family. And then suddenly I was meeting dozens of neighbors and friends. They were literally showing up at my door with With supplies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And it was all like these like-minded people, Uh like people who wanted to help other helpers. The thing that became the medicine was like every time somebody would bring something to my house or every time I would deliver something to one of those families, they would just give me so much gratitude for helping them get the opportunity to be in the situation that they were in. Yeah. I didn't donate the stuff. All I did was I made it accessible for people to do that. Right. And I became the receiver of a shitload of gratitude Mm -hmm. daily. And love, I imagine. A lot. A lot of love. I remember... In the beginning, it was maybe there was like seven families at that point. At that point, I was waking up every single morning with anywhere from 75 to 100 unread text messages that were mostly grateful hands emojis, mm-hmm. pictures mm-hmm. of babies in beds, kids in new shoes with bikes. You know, these are how you can communicate when you don't share a language with someone. Right. Yeah. And I just kept waking up to that instead of what I used to wake up to. And while it's also at that time, I was, we began sleeping separately in separate rooms. And I thought that sleeping separately would mean I would feel lonely. Mm-hmm. But suddenly it occurred to me that I had never felt so loved. And I had my own space for that love. That's when things started really changing for me. Gratitude became the medicine that mm-hmm. helped me. I decided one day, I'm just like looking through these text messages and some of them just so expressive and like, and creative in the way they were expressing their gratitude and love in another language. I just seeing someone work so hard to show you and tell you that they love you. Mm. It filled a void in me, a deep void that was lost a long, long time ago. And I thought, what if today I decide that I am going to see myself the way that the world sees me and not the way one person sees me? And I just decided that that was how I was going to live. And what I did next was I took thank you notes that people wrote me Mm. and I put them up on every wall of my house. (laughs) And I took the stories that I was living, lived experience and, and just people I was meeting. I just you know, wanted to share and express that love to as many people as possible. And I leaned into that so hard. And that's what led to the development of Miri's List. But also it's what led to the development of me growing a pair and taking back control of my life. And, you know, the thing that froze me for so long was my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, how could I put my children through 
being in a split life right or not having access to their to both parents and you know all of the shame and you know that comes along with divorce and it occurred to me one day that you know all this time i had been seeing divorce as this failure mm-hmm. and i said actually wasting my life in a loveless marriage would be a failure god yes and that's what is happening right mm-hmm. now and so in that way i'm already living my worst nightmare right right and so i have already failed and so what i can decide to do right now and if that is to get a divorce and to leave that that would actually be the success amen sister <sighs> amen that's what so many women struggle with. So many, I mean, listen, if y'all listening to this need to re- stop, rewind, <laughs> hit the back 30 seconds and listen to that again, because that is, that is the 100% truth. Yeah. 100% truth. And what your children were growing up to believe is marriage was going to be so fucked up and upside down. Yeah. Right. And you stopped it in its tracks, not just for yourself, but for your kids. That it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. And I, I think that there's also like a lot of, a lot of people can re- probably relate to like the amount of time that we take to get there is another way that we shame ourselves. We're mm-hmm. like, Oh, it, it took too long. You should have, would have, could have. Like I had a therapist one time who would say, don't should all over yourself. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you have to try as hard as you can. You have to do as many things as you can. You have to let yourself go through your own wave. And then ultimately like come getting there is what counts. And it's like, truly never too late Mm -hmm. to get there no yeah truly i mean it's so it's such a beautiful story that like as you're telling it and first of all you're a beautiful storyteller so as you're telling the story like i almost see the movie so now we're now we have to write the the movie of mary's list which i'm very excited about by the way Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i've just decided so who will play who will play mary uh to be determined and who will play sheila Ah, let's introduce Sheila. We haven't introduced Sheila yet. Sheila, the love of my life. The love of your life, your person. And I, you know what I love? I love that the other night you, when you reintroduced me to Sheila, you introduced her as like, you're you're like, have you met my person? And I was like, (laughs) I just love, I love the idea of that. Not just because I was on Grey's Anatomy. So like, you know, that was, (laughs) that was, that was, that was in my time when that was coined. But the, the person that, you know, because what you said was you actually used the same phrase about your ex about that he wasn't your person. Like you didn't have that person. And then, and I just, and I know as as soon as you said that, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it immediately called to mind how you introduced Sheila the other night as your person and how adorably in love you two are. (laughs) I'm like, it's so cute. I love it. I have just felt that way from the moment I met her. Oh my God. Where'd you guys meet? She took more time than I did to catch up to that. But I felt like that from the moment I met her. Yeah. Where did you guys meet? We met at a party. Uh Uh-huh. Like a couple of years ago, she was bartending uh-huh. at this party and I 
It was a mom's club party, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I showed up real sweaty and late. Uh-huh. Because that's my new life. Sweaty right. and late. Sweaty and late. That's, that's this <laughs> chapter. <laughs> sweaty and late. That's what we're going to call it in mm-hmm. the book. In, in the, the book, yeah. In the, in the, in the, the memoir. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I was sweaty is because I was hauling t-shirts because the mom's club are, is like the heart of Mary's List. So I had to bring Mary's List t-shirts for all the moms. Oh, I love <laughs> so it. So like a hundred t-shirts later, I'm sweaty and I'm late because I had been on a Tinder date with a dude that day and I, it obviously, <laughs> wasn't a good date because I and was there at the party. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And to- I come into this party. It was in the backyard and the bar is like across the party. And I just saw her and it was like one of those moments where like the whole party stopped mm. and like I could only see her. And it was truly like I needed to know who that person is. And I noticed that she was pouring rosé. And so I proceeded to walk around the party and grill anyone drinking rosé about what their experience was with the bartender. No way! (laughs) Recon! (laughs) Before you ever went up to her? Before I went up to her, yeah. Oh, my God. And And what were people saying? They're like, "Uh, she's totally cute. We think that she might be dating somebody, some, uh, some, everyone had different like pieces of information. And I was like, all right, I got to go find out for myself. Okay. So I walk up to her at the bar and I look at her and I say, who are you? (laughs) I didn't like plan on what to say, but that was the only thing that could come out of my mouth. And then she was like. I'm Sheila. Who are you? <laughs> Why like, are you talking to me? <laughs> she's like, what do you want to drink? You've been in a relationship with her for like 20 minutes as you've gone around the party. And she's just like, like, how do you, what, do you know? what are you talking You want to drink? Get some rosé? <laughs> and that night I asked her where she lives. And she said she lives in Highland Park, that she had just moved there. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're my neighbor. I live in Eagle Rock. So you should give me your number because I will bring you hummus because that's what I do for my neighbors. Uh, oh, by the way, Kate, you're going to get hummus, I too. I didn't get any hummus. <laughs> um, and so she had just moved to Highland Park and, like, she just genuinely was trying to meet friends. And, yeah. like, like, I – you know, got her phone number that night and I quickly learned the first time we got together, like all this time, I'm like, oh, she's so cute. Like I'm really into her. She doesn't know that though. And she mm-hmm. doesn't feel that way about me, but I don't know that. You're like some mom then, from, yeah, like, she's like, like the mom's group. Some, you know, I, I hope, I hope she would see me as cool mom, but yeah, like, totally I don't know that. Are. I don't right, know that. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> so then we like get together for a drink that I totally think is a date. And, <laughs> And we get there. We sit down with our drinks. The first question I ask is, are you seeing anyone? Uh-huh. She goes, yes. And I'm like, are you monogamous? <laughs> She's like, yes. And that's the second that it occurred to me that she friend zoned me <sighs> when the minute we met and that I also either needed to friend zone her or we could. <laughs> it we wasn't going to work. Out. Oh, my God. And we just like sat there and I was, I was so disappointed in that moment because I was just like, I thought she was like someone I really wanted to date, but then she just wasn't available. So, but then ultimately after that night, I just like really thought about it. And I was like, I am friends with plenty of beautiful, intelligent, brilliant women. Uh huh. I can be friends with her. Like 
I don't need to like sleep with someone just because they're like someone I'm. (laughs) Which she is, by the way. She's really beautiful. (laughs) I just love her so much. But (laughs) and so we, I friend zoned her, Mm -hmm. and like we became really good friends, and like that included like you know just like I got to meet some of the people in her life, and she got to meet my old dog, my old blind dog, and my kids, and. Then, like, I don't know, maybe it was, like, six months later or something like that. We were out, and I asked her, hey, how's it going with your girlfriend? And she was like, oh, we actually broke up a few weeks ago. And I was just like, huh. (laughs) 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 And I could tell that she was, like, genuinely sad. And so I didn't want to – I wasn't, like – Yeah, I kind of jump on that. No, I wasn't. And also, like, I really – at that point, we were, like, friends for so so long. And I was, like, I really cherish this friendship. Like, I'm a single mom. Like, I don't have a lot of time for extracurricular friendships. And this was one that, like, I really enjoyed. I just, like, opened up to her about all my shit. Like, I was newly dating out of my marriage. And I was just, like, having all of these Tinder adventures. And she was just somebody that I could just – you know, be myself around. She never judged me. I could also, she knew about Miri's list and she was just like, she was one of the few people that could hold space for both sides of me that were like exploding at this one moment. And, and, you know, ultimately I decided to, uh, defriend zone her. (laughs) And how did that, I mean, obviously that worked out well. I'm like, obviously that worked out really well for you. I'm just wondering how that, I basically just let her know how I feel. I, I after mm-hmm. after that day that she told me that she and her girlfriend had broken up, I went. I wanted to go home, but then I was like, I can't go home. I have to like be out right now. I was just feeling so anxious, mm-hmm. and I went to my best friend's house, Cindy, the one who oh, just ran for city council. Yeah, and she and her husband Clint just heard me out. I just told them everything. I was just like, I really really like her and. Also, she like we have this great friendship. I don't want to risk that. And da 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 da. And they helped me to grow a pair once again. <laughs> and to be real, and to just tell her how I feel, and to right. and to and to express that to her in a way that like didn't put her on the spot, right. but also owned how I feel about her. So yes. I, I wrote her an epic te- text message uh-huh. that she received while she was like out with her friends, like roller skating, <laughs> and she and I that night went to have a drink and we, you know, I got to, you know, tell her how I felt and she made it really safe for me to do that. And, you know, I've just been able to feel so like feel that love Mm. with her like every single fucking day since then. And it took me a while, but I'm so lucky. And like, I would, you know, I think about, you know, once in a while, like, you know, if my choices would have been different, like how would have my life have been different? And like, I'm so glad that I made room for, for this in my life, because if I had met her really at any other time, like I wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have had space in my life for this kind of love. And like, it's the kind of love that I always wanted mm. that I was never in a million years going to be getting in my marriage. And like to truly be seen and, and to feel that love and, and to be able to express yourself in a really safe way. And, and, you know, that is something that has been so game changing for me. And also just my, the rest of my life that has been able to reverberate 
in yeah, so many of, other areas. Of course, right? Because you go from a woman who's, you know, in a marriage that you feel there's no love and there's no support. And it's almost like the image that I got when you were talking about it is that you just sort of kept like moving these impediments out of the way, <laughs> right? Yeah. To be able to sort of clear the channel yeah. for, for love. That is not just from another person, but it's also, it's within you, right? It's this reciprocal energy that mm -hmm. you can't fully express or lean into or experience with all of these fucking impediments in the way. Mm -hmm. And so many of the impediments were sort of of your own construction, right? Mm -hmm. That idea that you didn't belong, that you didn't, you didn't believe that you didn't feel worthy, that you didn't write all of those things that you felt in your marriage, that I think we come to our marriages so often we come with it, right? Mm -hmm. We come, we are, we are receptacles for that. We walk into these marriages, these emotionally abusive, abandoning, emotionally abandoning marriages because we're natural receptacles for that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, I just, I just love the idea that you were able to, like your story is, I mean, it's so beautiful. It's so inspiring. And it, and I want my listeners to really hear this as a possibility. You know, so often we hear these stories as other. And I always want to remind people that like, this is, this is my story. This is your story. This is everybody's story. The yeah. possibilities of this story are open for everybody and anybody. Yeah. Right. To be able to clear the channels for that, that, that open, reciprocation of love that flow of love yeah right yeah i don't know if i'm saying it well you're but you yeah are saying it beautifully <laughs> okay so we only have a few minutes left but i want to talk briefly about money because you were a stay-at-home yes. mom yes that was very challenging as well also just to make the decision to leave as the person who's not earning the family's income mm was very, very scary. Yes. And a lot of my listeners and a lot of my followers deal with this. So I'm super excited that we're going to talk about this briefly. Oh, the, <laughs> so the, the founding of Muriel's List was meant that for the first year and a half, I was a full-time volunteer. And then starting in about November 2018, I was able to pay myself and four other people a small salary from because we were able to get enough donations from our incredible supporters all over the country. Mm. And it was not enough for me to support myself off of though right. and it still is not. I make $31,200 a year in, in um, Los Angeles the same by the way. As, but we have a flat compensation structure at Mary's List is what all of our full-time staff um, make. The way that I am making ends meet is by speaking. I speak at colleges and schools and I have done a TED talk and this is all new to me. This is, I get to talk about my work, which is my favorite thing to talk about. And mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a subject that people want to know more about. Yeah. And so I have been able to supplement my income just by having like honorariums and speaker fees. Also, I have a book coming out. Oh, you do? I do. <laughs> and so speaking and writing has mm -hmm. been something that I've been leaning into to supplement my income because getting divorced is hard and expensive. And however, like by relying on the public support system, I was able to 
get health insurance for my kids that's through Medi-Cal for families. Yes. That's right. That's what it's there for. Mm-hmm. Medi-Cal for families covers health insurance for anyone 18 and under in, Calif- California. in, in, in California, regardless of income. I didn't make enough to, to uh, overqualify, but it's regardless of income, anyone under 18. Hmm. So if you're worried about losing your kid's health insurance, know that there is a public option for you in Los Angeles County. Look into Medi-Cal for families and whether or not you are getting a divorce, like you don't this need is, to be paying right, for your kid's health right. insurance. It can and be I covered wonder, by the county. Do you know, cause my, my audience is all over the country. I'm trying to, I'm just, I wonder if there are similar programs in other states. Yeah. There probably are, right? Please Google the local resources to help you get through this mm-hmm. because there is no shame in being on public support. And also, mm-hmm. you know, think about, I'm working with resettling refugee families who are also on public support. And here I am trying to convince them that they are just as welcome and equal to be here as I am. And so how can I say that and also say that there's any shame for me right. to be on public support? Right. And so that has actually been very, very helpful in just having me just live internally with a sense of equity. Yep. Equity for all. Just because you live in the house you live in doesn't mean that you aren't qualified for the help that we all need to get through transformational times in our lives. And oh, yeah. Lean oh, yeah. into that. Yep. That's part of the hive, like you said. Dude, I, I was on it. I yeah. mean, you know, here I am running my own business yeah. as a as a divorced mom living in a, you know, beautiful house. Mm-hmm in Los Angeles and in Eagle Rock on the, you know, when I moved into my house 10 years ago, it was the wrong side of the tracks. It was, I mean, it was scary. Yeah, then down. you moved there. And, and then it all changed. changed. <laughs> but our block was like, not so nice when I moved there. And yeah, there were times when I had to be, as I was building this, this business and this, I was on, I was on public assistance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, and I did have a lot of shame about it, yeah. you know, we don't have but, to have shame about that. Yeah. There is no shame in that. That's what it is there for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that includes the support through your kid's public school. Your kid can be on reduced cost lunch. Right. You do not need to avoid that kind of help because you are a different kind of person in your own mind than somebody who needs it more. Right. You need it too. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's, that's what I have to say about money. And yeah, I am not there yet and I'm continuously working at it. And so if somebody's listening to this and you work at a university or a big company who brings in guest speakers, hit me up. I want to come and talk about refugee resettlement to your hive. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to meet you. <laughs> that's so great. And I just, because we were talking about it, right? This, this, your, uh, speaking is your side gig. That's my side hustle. Yeah. That's your side hustle. But we all have them, right? While I was building this business, building websites was my side hustle. Yeah. And that's like, this is what, Mm -hmm. you know, it was only very recently Mm -hmm. that I was able to stop taking on web clients. Yeah. Right. We all have our side hustles. Can can I give a warning? Yes. Of what to avoid? Yes. Please, mamas Mm -hmm. and papas. I hope I I know what you're going to say. Please avoid pyramid schemes. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. Because they are predatory. Well, please avoid, let's be specific, MLMs. Yes. They're predatory and they're specifically focused on finding folks who are in vulnerable times in their lives, like single moms, like people who are physically disabled, like people who have new babies or are in an insular uh, community. 
they are predatory and you are more likely to lose money. Yes. So do have side hustles. However, please be aware that MLMs are not the place that are, is going to take care of you. Okay. It's it's so important. I think MLMs are so, you know, they they talk about and they preach and they make you believe that you're building a business, but and it's empowerment. You, for, that it's yeah. empowerment. What you're doing is building someone else's business and yeah. you can take all of that all the energy energy and could it it could be for you. I'm That's, so glad that we're of course we're on the same page about that, but of course we are. And if you are currently involved in one of those and you're thinking about getting out and you feel any kind of like shame or lo- sense of loss, like know that you are a victim of the situation that you're in and the entire system was designed to bring you in. So you can walk away shame-free knowing that you are just as worthy and yeah, you deserve your own business. That's truly yours. I actually have a client who is working on a business to help people transition out of MLMs. Ooh, MLM, ex-MLM coach. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love it. I hope she's doing that because she was thinking about it for a while. And um, if she is, I'll link that in the show notes too because I think that's helpful. I'm glad we talked about all these important issues. I am too, Miri. (laughs) I'm so happy that you came on and talked to my audience about all of this. I think it's just so important. I love Miri's list. I love what you're doing. And and my, my plan is, as you know, to get more involved because I was a little behind the curve because I wasn't in the Eagle Rock Moms oh. group. I'm not in that one. I'm like, you know. You're in the second wave. I'm in the yeah. AVM or I'm in the, yeah. And, um, I guess if people who are listening want to know how they can help. Yes, they do. Um, I would say the first thing to do is go on our website, sign up for our newsletter because our we send out a newsletter every other week. I write it personally and I'm going to update you on what's going on for refugees this week and then also we're going to give you, it's called Hive Around Five. We provide the list for five families. It's all online. You send a gift the same way you would any baby registry or wedding registry. It's an Amazon wish list. It's the easiest thing in the world. It goes directly to the family, not to me, and you can write a gift message. And so I want everyone to take advantage of that platform. Send a gift to one of our families. Tell them why you're doing it. Welcome them, them to America. And once you've signed up on our newsletter and you've sent a gift, then it's time to make a donation to Mary's List to keep the infrastructure growing because we have enrolled 30 new arrival families since January 1st, 2020. <gasps> wow. 30. And, and guys, zero. it's only the beginning of March, by the way. Yes. When so, we're recording this, it's the beginning of March. Yeah. We're, th- we're three months into the year and we're 30 families enrolled. And so we are busier than ever, though the federal refugee resettlement system is been downsized significantly, we are still enrolling new families. They continue coming and they need our help more than ever. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share the story. I adore you. Me too. Let's get lunch. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.